listen first. All right, some of y'all just fire up. Not, now it's not even our mouth. Like our kids don't even know how to communicate. It's just their thumbs. Watch your thumbs, kids. All right, don't fire up that like social media. Don't fire up your, your you know, Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, Snapchat, that kind of stuff. Don't, like, don't, don't just fire that up. Like, listen, watch your mouth. Don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Don't come in here eager to tell God what he should be doing. That's a bad look. It's not going to go well for you. And here's why. He says, for God is in heaven. And here, if you don't know this, you're here on earth. There's a fast discrepancy there. You look foolish when you start telling a pilot of a plane how to drive the plane, right? You look like an idiot. Why? Because he knows how to, like, he knows how to fly a plane and you don't. So, shh. Listen, God is in heaven. We're here on earth. We don't approach him with our mouth running. That's not how this works. So he says, let your words be few. Let your words be few. And, and, and listen, that, that stands in contrast. Jesus told us to pray without ceasing, didn't he? What's that about? Well, he also told us not to be praying, you know, like the hypocrites out there, just do long prayers just because it makes them feel holy. He says the same thing, like, hey, God already knows what you, what you need before you ask him. You don't have to just, you know, heap up all of these prayers. And so there's a tension there. There's a lot to pray about, but we don't have to unload this, you know, volume of words over any particular subject because God gets it. Like, he's, he's there. He's eager to bless his people. He's eager to answer our prayers. So we don't have to uh, impress him or gain his ear with our just verbal spewing. So be careful. Watch your mouth. He says, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words, right? It's the guy's coming in, hey, I got an idea. Here's how you should do church. I got an idea. Here's what God should do. Or, or this guy says, well, if God was God, he would do this. If God was God, what about this? And he's got all these philosophies. He's saying, you need to approach God with humility and start by listening first. Start by listening first. It, we look foolish when we do this, right? I, I remember a, uh, um, a men's retreat years ago, um, and it was like a, a low-key retreat, but we had invited an older, like it was a bunch of young men in ministry, and we'd invited a, a, a guy who was, you know, an older brother who'd spent some years in ministry uh, to come and, and, you know, invest in us and speak to us and teach us. And so, but we started the night with some introductions. Y'all have been in meetings like this, right? Like, okay, we don't all know each other. Let's give quick introductions, right? And you're thinking like who you are, how, you know, what, what do you do in the ministry? A little bit about your family, right? Like two to three minute kind of thing. And that's what like four or five, this guy didn't even go first, but like four or five people do that. And then we get to this one guy. And I'm like, dude, nobody asked for your life story, but that's what he gave us. Like, I'm not exaggerating when I say like he talked about where he was born. His parents moved here then he moved there and he was raised in church. And then he really loved football. And that's how he got saved was through football and this FCA thing. And then he got saved and he's called into ministry, but he really wanted to play football. So he played football in college, but then he got hurt and this injury. And he tells the, the specific story of getting hurt in the game. And you're thinking, man, this is going to lead to some climax of like how he got Super, you know, like, and no, it's just part of the story. Like, it's just, he just felt the need to throw it in there. I, like, 45 minutes, I'm not exaggerating, 45 minutes this guy talked. I don't know why I didn't have, like, the presence that I do. I would tell him to, I would, I would politely remind him that 
he's not the speaker uh, today. But I didn't have that. Nobody was really that much in charge. But somebody needed to shut him up because you know what he did? Not only did he look like a fool, but he robbed all of us of the wisdom that the guy we'd invited to come and share. Right? Like we invited this guy to speak into our lives, and you just robbed us all of that. Like know your place. Don't, don't, don't come with abundance of words. Like that you look foolish. And so when we come into God's presence, like we need to be slow to speak, quick to listen. Right? We got to remember God is in heaven. We're on earth. Don't be a fool with a mouthful in front of God. Don't come in with that posture. Okay? So listen first. Come humbly. All right? Verse 4. So then what, so first thing is when you come into church, you should be coming to listen. You should be coming with, with humility, with submission, right? We talk about this often. We need to let the Bible inform us, and, and then we see the world through that lens. We need to, and in order to do that, we need to submit to this. If we, if we come in with our ideas and our worldviews of what we think life should be, then we start trying to read that into the Scripture, and then we start trying to find a church that will preach and teach that. We've got a problem. Right? Some of y'all know, like, a, a lot of churches shifted population and demographics during COVID and all of the tension over the last two and a half, three years. Right? People found different churches because the pastor did or did not say things that they would like them to do or, not, or do not say. Some people left churches if anything was mentioned on race through the tension of our world being divided by race. Some people left churches. Right? Some people have left churches if, if you bring up anything about the sexual revolution, you know, or, or if you don't bring it up enough, right? Or if you don't, you know, talk about Trump, or if you do, like, it, like this is, there's all kinds of, it's like this reshuffling of people in churches because we start to look for, okay, here's what I think is right in the world, so I'm going to look for a place that affirms that, and that's where I'll champion. When we need to have this posture of, man, we're going to submit to this. We need to let this tell us what's right in the world. And when this is being preached, we, we can sit and we, you know, we, we can submit. It may not be our favorite. And, and listen, you should, you should come to church expecting to be challenged. Because if we're opening this, it will challenge us. It challenges me. It chal- like when I'm studying, sometimes I'm like, man, this is kicking my butt. And this week was one of them. Like, I'm not kidding. I've kind of rethought wearing a suit. Because I'm like, man, I would dress up if I was meeting the president. I dress up for like there's there's a pot, like there's something to that. I was like ah man, I was I was wrestling through this. So we need to come expecting to be challenged if the Bible is being open. And if you're going to a church where the Bible is is not being open and it's secondary, then I challenge you to go somewhere else because that should be what we're coming to listen to, right? So we come to listen first, right? Verse four. Then what do we do when we like we should be quick to listen and then. Also, quick to do what he says. So this is what he's going to say, verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, don't delay in paying it. He has no pleasure in fools. Don't play games with God. Okay, pay what you owe. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So in the same way that it's better that you don't just come in and start doing the religious activities, instead just sit and listen. Again, I want to encourage you. If you're here checking out Christianity, like you sit and listen. Like That's, that's good. That's why we're so serious about uh, reminding you that communion is a meal for believers, right? Some of you are like, well, do you really need to say that? Well, yeah, we do, because you need to know that if you're just taking that flippantly and you're not in a posture of repentance, you don't actually love Jesus, you're not actually surrendered your life to Jesus, 
then you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. So we want to remind you, like, hey, this is a meal for believers. We're not going to police that. We're not going to, we're not going to, be, like, we're not going to call people out. Like, unless we know they're in progressive church discipline, we've reminded them and told them, and then they're just disregarding God. We'll call them out. But we're not going to go around and check your, your life. But we expect people to be in a position of repentance. We expect people to be believers. That's why we remind them of that, because we don't want to take the the activities that God has given us in the church, the sacraments, baptism, and, and communion, we don't take those lightly. And we know that by taking them every week, there's a, there's a danger in it becoming a ritual, and we don't want to do that. So we want to remind ourselves, like, hey, this is a meal for believers. If you're not yet a believer, don't take the meal. Instead, behold the goodness of the gospel. And in any moment, you surrender to that. In any moment, you cry out and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I believe that you are that Savior that you shall be saved. And listen, you can go get the bread right now. Maybe you prayed that prayer right now. Praise God. Go get you some bread and juice. We'll stop. We'll do it all over again. Like you can take communion for the first time as a believer. That's what we want. We're not trying to keep it from anybody. We're just trying to honor it rightly. Okay? So we want to lead people to meet Jesus and then lead them to honor him and worship him through these rituals. And so, Okay, so, so, so that's how we approach God. Now, do what he says to do, right? It's so in the same way that it's better to just listen than to come in doing stuff, he says it's better that you don't make promises than to make them and not do them. Here's what he's talking about. Sometimes in, in services like this or even more emotional, you know, revival services or things like that, we're stirred, right? The music is powerful. People are moving. Like, we're seeing things happen. And we can make commitments. We can make... We can make like promises to God, like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do better at loving my wife. It could be something as practical as like, hey, I'm going to serve God now. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him my life. Or something as simple as like, hey, I'm going to do better about loving my wife. I'm going to do better about reading the Bible with my kiddos. Like, and we can make these promises in the moment because we're in this emotional state. But then we leave and there's no substance to it. There's no traction to it. It never makes its way into our life. He says, be careful about that. It's better that you just don't make promises than to make them and don't keep them. He says, let, don't let your mouth lead you into sin. Some, some of you people will, will feel pressure in a religious setting to pretend to be more religious than you actually are or more religious than you're, you're ready to be. And you'll open your mouth and, and, and you're going to set yourself up to something you're not actually ready or, or willing or, you know, submitted to and you're not actually going to do it. So don't let your mouth lead you into sin and don't say before the messenger, oh, it was a mistake, right? Because they have people like following up. Hey, you made this vow. You made this commitment. How's that going? He, he says, don't, don't find yourself at the place whenever your community group leader or your pastor's like following up into you and you go, you know what? That was a mistake. I, I mean, I kind of got caught up in the moment. He says, don't do that. Like have a have a posture of seriousness, have a posture of intentionality before you make a commitment, before you make these promises, have, count the cost, right? Like, make sure you're, you're, you're all in. You're actually submitted to this idea. You're not just caught up in this moment, right? He says, why should, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? Like, so don't let, don't let it get to that place where, where God has to, you know, discipline you because of that. That's, I mean, that's another sermon, but like you need to know that God disciplines those whom he loves. Like it's a part of it. Like if we commit to living a certain way and we never get to it, the Lord will he'll bring that back to remembrance and he'll give us opportunities, but then at some point he'll bring discipline into our life as well. 
Verse 7, for when, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. People talking a lot, there's vanity there. Where there's a, a serious, like, get down to work, like, get down to business, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. We're not going to talk about this thing, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. We're not just going to talk about it, we're going to be about it. We're going to live our lives a certain way, like we're going to follow Jesus, we're going all in. This is where people just talk, but their lives don't change, vanity. Where people don't talk that much, but you see they're, they're just putting out with their life. You see them, and they're just living for Jesus. They're just saying yes to Jesus and no to the world. That's the better posture. That, that's what we should be aiming for. He says, God's the one you've got to fear. God is the one that you need to fear. Now, I'm going to borrow an illustration from a pastor I listened to this week, and I just thought it was good, so I'm going to borrow it. And he says, let's look at this this way. Imagine you got a parent approaching a kid and telling them to clean their room. Okay, so parent walks in, kid's sitting in the room, room's a disaster, you say, hey, clean your room, okay? You expect them to do it, you walk out as a parent, go about your day, you see them later, hey, did you clean your room? I, man, mom or dad, like, clean your room changed my life. Like, I'm so glad you told me, clean your room. Like, man, it's just, it's, it's just blown my mind. Like, your words have impacted me so deeply, Clean your room. It's just, it's just, you know what? I've, I've called all my friends. We've been talking all day about cleaning your room. It's so good. We're going to have a Bible study every week. We're going to talk about cleaning your room, how it's impacted us, how much we love it. We're getting swag made. Clean your room shirts, coffee cups. We've made images to put on Facebook about cleaning your room. It's so good, right? It, it, like, it's changed. I'm so grateful that you shared those words with me. Thank you for that. Clean your room has changed my life. Now, there's an obvious question remaining for the parent, right? Like, but have you cleaned your, have you cleaned your room? Like, that's, that's the question. And you might be thinking, well, Jordan, this sounds like work salvation. I mean, we don't earn God's favor, right? Like, we don't earn God's favor by obeying him. We don't earn, and, and you're right, we don't. But just because salvation is a gift, that we don't earn, doesn't mean we don't obey God. It doesn't mean we don't do what he says. In fact, truly understanding the gospel means that we realize, oh man, I don't have to obey in order to be accepted by God, but because I'm accepted by God and I have no business being accepted by God, but because he's accepted me through Jesus, man, that leads me to long to obey, that, that I actually obey because I'm accepted, not in order to get accepted, right? So Solomon reminds us here, hey, the Lord's who you need to fear, not people, not earthly consequences, the Lord, right? And, and I think that, that, that too often we have tried to clean, like soften up this idea of fearing God, and we just want to say, well, it just means that you respect and you have some reverence. Well, that's, that's mostly true. That is the impetus of fearing God, that you have reverence and awe of God. However, I think because we know, that, that, like, because we've become comfortable with the gospel and we know we can be forgiven and accepted because Jesus went to the cross, like, we, we sometimes lose some of this, this actual fear that is there. Like, we should actually have some of the fear, fear, like, terror, fear. 
If you know the story, the Chronicles of Narnia, whenever the, the kids are, are, are realizing who's in charge and the, the, the beavers start talking about Aslan and they know Aslan and they realize Aslan's a lion, the kids have some natural reactions to that realization, right? Like, well, wait, what? He's a lion? Well, I mean, lions eat people. Is he safe? And the famous line from the beaver is safe. Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. You see, I think it's that we need, to, we need to have that actual terror, that actual fear in place, and that coupled with his good, coupled with the grace, together that makes a reverence. That makes it a right awe and respect. But if you just want to say, well, I mean, you don't have to be scared of him. I mean, just respect him. Ah, right? Like that, that gets... I think, we're, I think we're taking something away from the Scripture. Hebrews chapter 12, this New Testament stuff, says our God's a consuming fire. Right? Like we don't want to water this down to the place where God, the people don't fear the Lion of Judah. Right? We want to be careful to make sure that we know, no, God can end your life. He, he, like people that did, like we're talking about making a vow and then not repaying it, you got Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. Right? This is after Jesus. This is in the, the new covenant era of grace. And they start they're playing games with God. And they say, you know what? We're selling our everybody's Everybody's doing this thing. Right? It's, a, it's a powerful movement of God. And everybody's saying, you know what? All that matters is the gospel. Here's all my resources for the gospel. Praise God. It's an amazing moment. We should aspire to be so caught up with the gospel that we loosen our hands on everything else in life. That's what was happening in Acts. They start getting challenged by that. And they go, okay, we'll, we'll sell our house too. You know what? And we'll give this much money. We're going to give this proceeds to the church, right? But then when it comes down to it, turning the money over, they start, yeah, man, I don't know I said I'd give this much, but you know what? Nobody really knows the total. Like, let's just, we can give this much, and, and we'll still look good, but we can keep some. God strikes them dead. Like, kills them. That's not a seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly church service, y'all. They're dead. We don't play games with our commitment. to the, We don't play games with God as though he's, like, it just doesn't work that way. So we need to have a right fear, like actual fear of God. That's what puts us in a rightful place in relationship with him. Is that we actually realize, oh, he's not to be trifled with. And it's, and it's that realization that we realize, oh, we have to pay for our sin. It, it does require payment. And it's that realization, the wrath of God against our sin is what makes us realize the depth and the beauty of the cross of Christ. That without that, we don't get it. How big of a deal it is that Jesus went to the cross. We could sing about it. We could talk about it without being moved. But when you realize, oh, no, no, God is a holy God. We don't get in his presence without having to answer for our sin, for our nastiness. You know the story of Isaiah, or if not, this is maybe new to you, but Isaiah chapter 6, he's brought into the throne room of God, and he realizes in that moment that, man, there's angels that have committed no sin that won't look at God. 
angels that are so powerful that they would cause all of us to literally wet ourselves. That they have three wings. One of them's covering their face, one of them's covering their feet, the other they're flying, and they're singing, they're saying with, with such powerful voices, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, that every time their, their mouth opens, the, the foundations shake. Like it's that kind of scene that is painted in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah gets brought into that. And he doesn't come with a mouthful. Hey, hey, God, I've got some questions I've been meaning to ask you. What are you going to do about this, you know, this policy? What are you going to do about this whole deal? What are you going to do about so-and-so? No, what does he do? He hits his face. He hits his face. He says, woe is me. Man, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm from a people that, like, none of us can stand in before this God. I'm done. I'm done. And he knows it. He stands there waiting for his judgment. And instead of judgment, what does he get? Angel flies over and gets this coal out of the altar and brings it over and touches Isaiah's lips, therefore cleansing him and allowing him to be washed of his guilt, forgiven, and to stand before this holy God. What is, what is Isaiah's posture in that moment? Oh, thanks. Cool. Glad we got that taken care of. I'll see you next week, maybe. There's no, you know, like good, if the weather's not too nice, I don't want to be on a lake. See you next week. No, what does he do? He, he's standing there. He's in awe. He's so moved. He, he, he gives his whole life, and then God says, you know what? I have a mission. And Isaiah goes, send me. Whatever you need, send me. Why? Because he's so impacted by both the wrath and the holiness and the righteousness of God and his grace that he would forgive him. He knew he didn't deserve to be forgiven. That it leads to a life of surrender. And so you see, if we don't see the wrath of God first and understand that we deserve to be under it, then we'll be flipping about the cross of Christ. We'll yawn at it. But when we realize that's supposed to be us, that we have zero words to say before a holy God, And yet, he sends his own son to come to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we should have died? Oh, my goodness. You mean I can be forgiven? You mean I, I could stand before that God? I, I could boldly approach that God now? Like, now? like, now our minds are blown. Now we can meet in a pole building. <laughs> Because it's not about the temple. It's not about the, the physical presence anymore, right? It, it's been transcended. Jesus himself is the temple. He starts showing up and saying, yeah, y'all tear down that temple. I'll rebuild it again in three days. Everybody's like, what, dude? It took years and thousands of people. He's like, yeah, go ahead, right? He's the temple. Emmanuel, God with us. He's tabernacling, tabernacling with us. He's come to dwell. He is now where God dwells. And when we get forgiven, when we trust in Jesus, God comes and dwells in us. So we don't need highly ordained, you know, architecturally beautiful walls anymore. Like, I love churches that are beautiful like that. It, it, it reminds us of the transcendence of God. But the reason we can come meet in a pole building is because, guess what? You're the temple, and I'm the temple. God lives within us. We all gather together, and it's a big Jesus party. Like, we brought a whole bunch of God with us this morning. 
It's a concentrated moment of the Spirit gathering through his believers. He says, wherever there's two and three, I'll be there. Like, we got, we got power there because he's showing up. So this transcends all of this. This is why we can approach him. But, but just because we can approach him in T-shirts now and in a pole building doesn't mean we have a posture of flippancy. Doesn't mean we go, it's no big deal. No, we still have the same posture of holiness. Doesn't matter what you're wearing. But it matters how your heart is postured. It matters whether you're surrendered or not. It matters whether you're here to tell God a few things or whether you're here to listen. It, weathers, it matters whether you're here to be seen and heard or whether you're here to listen and to sing, right? It, it, that matters. That matters. That's what Solomon is saying to us. So as we close, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. What would it look like for us as a people to prepare ourselves for worship? There's an article attached to your app that says, hey, um, worship begins on Saturday night. We can, Sunday worship begins on Saturday night. Like, how are you preparing yourself to step into this space and worship? What does that look like? Is it just we're haphazard, we're barely pulling in here on two wheels, like we just got here, or is there an intentionality? Are you preparing your heart? Are you, are you posturing yourself? What would it look like if we took some time to personally repent of a consumer mentality? Our world has shaped you to come in here and to see if we can impress you. That's the spirit you're going to be fighting against. And if we don't impress you, go down the road. Either direction, you got churches that might. That's the spirit you're fighting against. What would it look like if we personally repented of that consumer mentality each week before we come? What would it look like? What would that do to our attunement to the Spirit? What would it look like for you to talk less and listen more before God? You, I want you to ask that personally. What would it look like for you to talk less and listen more before God? Maybe that needs to be a Bible study. Right? You just need to dig deep. Maybe, it, maybe you need to take and look at a topic, like do a topical study on an issue you've never really dug deep on because you're, you don't really want to hear what God says about it. Like, I'm amazed at how quickly people will say, well, I mean, that can't be true because God's a God of love, so, he'll, you know, everybody's welcome at his table. Like, it does, like, sexuality's not a thing or this doctrine's not a thing. Like, how quickly people will just talk. This is what Solomon's saying. Like, mm, you need to shut your mouth. Open your Bible, because that's how God speaks primarily. You need to listen. So some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to actually listen. You need to lean in. You, there's a doctrine you don't like. There's something you're not sure about. Lean in and see what the Bible says. What we, I mean, let me tell you what, 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 a call, what calls would be on top, like favorite calls for a pastor to get. Hey, can you help me learn more about this? Pfft, yeah. Chad and I are all over that. Like, we're all over it. We would love that. Your elders, like, we're all over that, Okay. Maybe it's seeking out a mentor to help you wrestle through what this means to your life, right? Like you're ready to be a, uh, a doer of the word, not just a hearer, and you say, you know what, I need some help with this, and you seek somebody out. And what would it look like for you to listen more, talk less before God? And then lastly, is, is there a rhythm to your life where you take what you hear from God and actually do it? I, I want you to think about this. Like in between attending a Sunday morning service and then for a lot of you, going to community group and that sort of thing, like, what is the rhythm that gets the teaching? Both what I'm teaching here and our pastors are teaching here from the pulpit and what your kids are learning back there in class. What's the rhythm in your life that allows you to take what you're, being, what you're hearing, what you're being taught, and getting it into your everyday life? 
changing your rhythms according to what God has made. What, what does that look like? What would it look like for you to just implement that? It's not this grand scheme, I'm going to be holier than holy. Like, no, what would it look like for me to just make space for an intentional moment on Sunday right after church? Like, maybe you don't leave this space. You just huddle up and talk. Maybe it's at lunch. Maybe it's at dinner time. Maybe it's before bed tonight. Maybe it's Monday morning. I don't know. Like, but what would it look like for you to have a rhythm in your life where you say, okay, here's what we heard. Thus saith the Lord. Where is it aligned with our life? Where is it not? And how do we get it more in alignment? What do we need to do? Practically, you start asking questions as a family. You start talking about that with your group. What would that look like? Is there a space where you reflect, right? Where you submit yourself, you lay yourself before the Lord and go, okay, this is what he said. Here's how my life is currently being lived. Lord, I want to change in these ways. What would that look like? Let's ask ourselves those questions. Let's be honest about the answers and let's, let's approach the Lord rightly. Man. We talk about revival, talk about longing for the Lord to show up. Like we, can't cre- we can't recipe that out. But we certainly can't expect it without anything less than this. Anything less than this posture of humility and prayer, listening more, talking less. That creates a people that the Lord can do powerful things in and amongst. Let's be that kind of people. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it. Help us to surrender rightly. Help us to let our words be few so that we can hear from you. Help us to be people who rightly fear you, 